message this morning is called, He Came and He's Coming Again. He came and He's Coming Again. How many of you are excited about the fact that Jesus Christ came? How many of you are excited about the fact that He's coming again? Amen. And you know, the beauty about Jesus coming again isn't that he's going to rapture us out of this horrendous world. No, that is the beginning of the countdown of the restoration of all things. Because as that takes place, it's only a matter of time and God will recreate the immediate heavens around the earth. And he will renew the earth and the new Jerusalem that is in heaven will come down to earth. And that's when the best of the best will happen on earth itself. God and his kingdom will physically come down to earth. And everyone who is born again, everyone who accepted, who acknowledged, who recognized that Jesus wasn't just a figure in history, but that he was God come in the flesh. We will live on earth with heaven and earth being reconnected. And we will live on earth with God forever and ever and ever. And everything the world was before the first Adam sinned and forfeited the rulership of the world over to the kingdom of darkness. Everything it was before the fall, it will be again. And we will live in the peace, the harmony, and the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Wow. Now let me ask you, how many of you are looking forward to Jesus coming back again? Absolutely. Amen. All right. Well, Jesus has come. He's coming again. In some circles, it's known as his first advent, his first coming, and his second coming, the second advent. Today, we celebrate Palm Sunday, and I've decided that I want to explain some of the scriptural significance, both from Old Testament and New Testament. What is Palm Sunday really about? These fine gentlemen pretty awesome and fearful looking. You don't want to run into them when they're in a cranky mood. But these are the kind of guys that walk the streets and they surveilled, so to speak, the people of Israel. Rome was the leading empire, the world empire. And the rulership of Rome was very paganistic, but it was also very harsh. And here were the Hebrew people under the control and the influence of Rome. They were looking forward to a Messiah. They wanted a Messiah. They believed in a Messiah. They wanted a Messiah for a lot of different reasons. They wanted a Messiah because it would restore the kingdom of David back to its former glory. How many of you know God doesn't go backwards, he goes forward? And so God isn't going to restore Israel back to its former glory. He's going to bring us and Israel to a greater glory. Can I get an amen? Absolutely. God is always improving and moving forward from glory to greater glory. Some were looking for the Messiah because they wanted the restoration of the golden age of King David's reign. Some wanted a Messiah because they wanted to see these guys gotten rid of. They wanted Rome to no longer have influence over the land. They looked for a Messiah for many different reasons. And based on the reason they were looking for the Messiah... Some rejected him because he didn't fit their bill of goods. And some accepted him for who he is and for why he came. You see, I've learned this about human history. The reason why human history repeats itself 
is because the basic human nature doesn't change. People are the same, whether it's 2,000 years ago or today. People are the same, whether they're white, brown, Asian, or black. Deep down inside, while racism tries to make us segregate people and separate people, racism is the height of arrogance. I'm better than you are. I thank God that there is no racism in God the Father. For God so loved the whole world that he died for everyone, brown, black, white. I hate what the world has done today with race. I hate the angst that people carry and the prejudice that others carry. And the truth of the matter is there is racism and prejudice on every direction and on every hand. And the same way Jesus repelled that, we have to repel that too. Can I get an agreement? Absolutely. Sin makes us all equal. And sin will take us to hell. And the blood of Jesus makes us all equal. It'll take us to heaven. Amen. There's only one king, and his name is Jesus Christ. And we are all privileged to be co-heirs together with him. Co-heirs together with Christ. And so this was the backdrop. They were looking for a Messiah. They were yearning for a Messiah. And so we're going to pick up the story seven days before Passover. <clears throat> Jesus comes riding into Jerusalem. It's known as Holy Week. The reason why it's known as Holy Week is because according to the Hebrew law in the Old Testament, Moses taught the people that leading up to Passover, which would happen once a year, that everyone had to go through their houses and remove every evidence and every skerrick of any kind of yeast. There could be no yeast in the house. Yeast was symbolic of sin. And so even today, in some Jewish conservative communities, in orthodox communities, they will put the vacuum cleaner down this sofa, turn the sofa upside down, clean every corner of the house in preparation for Passover. It was meant to be symbolic of the fact that we need to search our hearts. Yes, a sacrificial lamb is going to be made available for all of us. But it is also important that each individually searches their heart and repents or turns away from the things in their life and their lifestyle that is offensive to God. You see, we like to preach in the Christian church, Jesus Christ died on the cross to take away our sins. But if we want to follow the symbolism of the first Passover that Jesus is the fulfillment of, before people could enjoy the Passover, they had to search their hearts and make sure there was no leaven, no yeast. You see, before you can really have a relationship with Jesus Christ, we have to acknowledge and recognize things in us that are wrong, that need to change. We need to take accountability, and we need to repent of those things. It's like in a relationship, in a day-to-day -day relationship, two buddies, two girlfriends, a husband and a wife. In any kind of relationship that's going to have honest meaning on earth, if your vocabulary with your friend doesn't include the phrase, I'm sorry, that relationship isn't going to last in its, in its genuine affection. And I'll tell you why. Because we all goof up. And we all make mistakes. And we all are offensive, we get offended, and we give offense. 
And if the phrase, I'm sorry, isn't part of our language, then sooner or later, offense upon offense and hurt upon hurt will cause there to become a callousing of the heart and the emotions, and a friendship that once was thick and tight becomes a friendship that becomes separated and broken. And so in any kind of relationship, even a partnership, in business, we have to recognize that we're human and at times we make mistakes and we say things, do things, act in certain ways that might bring offense to our friend, to our partner, to a partner in business or the person we have vowed to love forever and ever. You see, they would search through their homes for yeast or leaven to symbolize how we have to search our heart. David said, search my heart, God. See if there's any wicked way in me. I don't live under condemnation. I don't live under a constant feeling of guilt. I've asked Jesus Christ into my heart, and by nature, I'm not a sinner anymore. I once was a sinner, and I was saved by the grace of God. I don't live a life habitually of sin, but I do make mistakes. I do occasionally sin. I do occasionally hurt somebody. And we, as Christians, though we are covered by God's great grace, want to be able to say, I'm sorry. I recognize I said something. I did something the other day. I offended you. I hurt your feelings, and I'm sorry. And the more we can be sensitive like that, it protects and it maintains relationship. Now, at this point, all the wives can turn to their husbands and say, uh-huh. <laughs> and all the men can turn to their wives and say, I hear you, babe, and vice versa. You see, relationship is something we don't always do well. Divorce courts prove it. We don't do it well. But God is a master of relationship. And so Passover is preceded by the Holy Week, where they search their homes to cleanse the home of anything that symbolized sin. And I think it's very important that this is Holy Week, but I think our lives should be lived as Holy Week, where we live and talk and walk in a way that we never want to bring offense to the King of Kings or offense in his kingdom. Can I get an amen? You see, I believe that the church of Jesus Christ would be in a far more powerful place if we learned that repentance isn't a one-time deal that allows Jesus to come into our heart. As a born-again man, full of the Holy Ghost, passionately in love with Jesus, I constantly look over my life and make sure that I'm not hurting my friends. That I'm not hating my enemies. Constantly looking to restore relationship. I don't know you, but if we get to know each other, I want to keep this relationship in a good place. It's very important. But unfortunately in the Christian church, we've not carried over all the meaningful symbolism of the Old Testament. And so though I am born again and I repented and asked Jesus in my heart, repentance is a lifestyle of being honest and real, real with yourself and being able to say, hey God, I realize I screwed up a bit yesterday. I said things that were offensive to my brother, but they were offensive to you as well. And I'm sorry. I'm not gonna walk in condemnation, but nor am I gonna walk in a casual attitude that allows me to keep being arrogant and indifferent. Come on, church, are you hearing me? See, I'm saved by grace. I'm covered under grace. I slip up if Jesus came in the meantime. The grace of God covers me, and yeah, I'm going to heaven. But if I live habitually in sin without care or concern, 
I've really taken advantage of what is the grace of God. But when we live in a lifestyle of repentance, it's okay to turn to your mom. You, you can thank me for this later. It's okay to turn to your mom and, and say, hey, mom, I'm sorry. I didn't have a good attitude. But you know what? It's also okay for moms who mess up sometimes and say, hey, honey, I was a little bit quick. See, she's nodding now. <laughs> I was a little bit quick. I was agitated. Came down a little bit hard and heavy. Repentance is about maintaining and restoring relationship. Being honest with ourselves and honest in our walk with God the Father. And so Palm Sunday is the beginning of Holy Week. And Palm Sunday is when a group of people started to acknowledge Jesus Christ. I think every day of our life should be a Palm Sunday. Every day of our life should be a celebration to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Every day of our life should be yes and amen to the written word of God. Every day of our life, we should be shouting Hosanna to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And if we only ever do it on Sunday, that's a good sign. It's become a religion and not a relationship. Good preaching, Pastor Rob. Matthew chapter 21, starting with verse 1. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Beth uh, Page on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and at once you will find a donkey tied there with her colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, say, the Lord needs them, and he will send them right away. He'll allow them to go. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet Zechariah, by the way. Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9. This is what the prophet says, and I'm still reading from Matthew 21. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to the daughter of Zion, see, your king comes to you, gentle, and riding on a donkey and on a colt, the foal of a donkey. It's very interesting. The prophet prophesied and said, see, your king is coming to you. As you study this concept in the Old Testament, it's one of the reasons why I hate the fact that people want to accordion squeeze church down to as short as possible. Because there's so much depth in the word of God that we need to feed on. And too often in a micro miniature moment of church, you can't get all the nourishment that you really need. Amen. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to the daughter of Zion, your king comes to you, gentle and riding on a donkey and on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Isaiah prophesied that the king would come. But he actually prophesied two separate comings of Jesus Christ. He says... He will come to save you, and he will come with vengeance and retribution. Two separate comings. When Jesus came the first time, that's the coming that we celebrate today, and we live in the benefit of that celebration. He came to save us. In John chapter 3, verse 16, a verse that most Christians know by heart. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only beloved son that anybody who believes in him, anybody, 
irrespective of what you've done, irrespective of color, irrespective of finance, everyone is on an equal status. Anyone who believes on him will not perish, but have life, an eternal life. But then in verse 17, he says, Jesus says, I've not come to condemn the world, but to save the world. And many of us as Gentiles, non-Hebrew or non-Jewish people, we don't really always get the context of what Jesus was saying. You see, even that verse is about the fact that he's coming twice. The first time he comes to save us. The first time he came for no other reason but to go to the cross and to shed his blood and be that scapegoat, the sacrificial lamb, so that if we humble ourselves, if we search our heart for yeast, if we look into our lives and we see sin, we can turn to the Savior that came from heaven, the Lamb of God. And say, Jesus, I recognize you as the Prince of Peace, as God come in the flesh. And I welcome you into my heart. Forgive me of a lifestyle of sin. I want to start relationship. Now that I have relationship with him, I don't keep asking him to forgive me of my past. But I do watch my P's and Q's today and the next day and the next day. Can I get an agreement, church? And when I sin, John, the apostle, he says, if we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us of all our sins. I'm sure there are times I've probably said something that might have rubbed Pastor Tom up the wrong way. And him being a better man than me didn't go home and grumble to his lovely wife, Donna, Everyone say, yeah, Donna's lovely. Isn't she awesome? Stand up, Donna. Give everyone a royal wave. And everyone said, and Pastor Tom is awesome too. Come on, Pastor Tom, stand up. Where did you get that hat? I got to get me one of those. Then I can have a bad hair day and nobody will know. Sorry? Amazon, of course. Of course. Thanks, Jeff. <laughs> but now that I have a relationship with him, I don't ask him to forgive me for those big, ugly things I did in the past. He's already covered that. But as a person who wants to have an honest relationship, a sincere relationship, I routinely check up with him and say, hey, have I said anything that might have offended you? And when he, by his Holy Spirit, shows me something, I'm quick to take acknowledgement, or I pray that I'm quick, to take acknowledgement, to take accountability, to take ownership and say, hey, I'm sorry. I'm sorry about that. And I receive your forgiveness for that incident. I think it's very important if we're gonna be five virgins that are full of oil, that we are full of the love language that has the ability to acknowledge mistakes and is quick to say, I'm sorry. In fact, it's really not that hard. So I'm gonna let you practice that right now just for the fun of it. Turn to anybody, somebody, and just say, I'm sorry. You know what I noticed? No one dropped dead. <laughs> it really isn't that hard. But if we're going to maintain relationship at a hot, passionate level, that needs to be part of our language. It needs to be part of our love talk. And Jesus said, the world should see that we are the best lovers. Did you know that? Jesus said, by this will all men know you're one of mine, that you love each other. 
And I think the way to, one of the ways to keep unity in the body of Christ is for us to be able to say, hey, if I offended you, I'm sorry. Sometimes we need to take off our high hats and learn to bow down a little bit. I think that is the more noble side of humanity. If you agree with this preacher today, give me a wave, a hello, or a good preaching pastor. Amen. So we continue reading. Verse 7, they brought the donkey and the colt and placed their coats on them for Jesus to sit on. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the ground, on the road, while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. When people take their cloak off, and Jesus is on a donkey and he's about to ride through and they put their cloak down. They're acknowledging, here comes one greater than I. It's the recognition this is kingship. This is a leader. It's a status recognition, but it's also an act of humbling oneself. Jesus rode on the back of a donkey. What a privileged beast that donkey was that day. Never hosted a more noble character. And you know what? I'd be a happy to be a donkey. In the eyes of the world, hear the context I'm saying this in, I'd be happy to be an ass to carry Jesus everywhere I go. Can anyone say ditto? Yeah. That's a modern way of saying amen. <laughs> they brought the donkey and the colt, placed their cloaks on them for Jesus to sit on. A large crowd spread their cloaks on the road while others cut branches and spread them on the road. Some waved their palm branches. Some gospels referred to them as palm branches, and people waved them, put them on the ground. What's interesting, Matthew doesn't say this, but in Luke 19, Luke, the doctor, researched amongst all of the disciples that were alive and gathered all the historic evidence of what happened during the life of Christ. He did the same with the book of Acts and recorded the history of the early church. And Luke, in all of his studious, meticulous manner, wrote and said that when Jesus was on the top of the mountain, looking down at the city of Jerusalem, he began to weep. It says, and he's very specific, he says, Jesus wept and said these words. You see, Luke wasn't there. But he went around the disciples and he asked the questions. He was the guy who wanted to get the whole story. Not like the media today, left or right. Everybody uses whatever piece of information they can get to beat up the other side. Luke just grabbed the facts and wrote the story as it was. And so he records that Jesus wept and he looks at Jerusalem and he says, if only... If only you had to recognize the coming of your God. He rode on a colt of a donkey so that they would see from Zechariah 9, verse 9, a parallel. He did many things to show them from prophecy that he was the one that was spoken of as the great hope and the great promise for Israel. This was their great hope. But in the hour and in the day and in the time and in the age of his coming, very few recognized him. And so he wept. And he said, oh, Jerusalem, people of Israel, if you only knew, if you only understood what would really bring you peace, it's not me overturning the Roman Empire because peace is something that's internal not external. How many of you know you can live in a crazy world 
and with King Jesus in your heart, while the world is going to hell in a handbasket, you can have peace in the middle of a storm. He said, if you only knew what would bring you peace. But because you will reject me, not one stone will be left upon another, and your city will be destroyed. You see, that brings God no pleasure. God in the flesh wept that some human beings would miss the greatest opportunity of all time. We go on reading, and we're going to pick up again from Matthew. Matthew 21, verse 9. The crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the son of David! Hosanna, in the Greek, actually has a different meaning than what I always thought. I always thought that Hosanna was some form of saying, Hallelujah, you are blessed. But in the Greek, the word Hosanna, and we're going to put it up on the screen if it isn't there already. They beat me to it. The word Hosanna means save us, we pray. In Aramaic and in Hebrew, it is a cry for help. A cry of happiness, a cry of excitement, but a cry and acknowledgement to one who's greater than yourself. Come save me! Help us! In fact, the suffix na at the end of the word hosanna in the hebrew it expresses intense emotion so in other words if you were hebrew you couldn't just say hosanna you had to say hosanna with great excitement because the na is an exclamation of much emotion and so they were crying out hosanna they recognized this was the son of David, the promised Messiah, the king of heaven who was coming to earth. Hosanna, save us! Amazing. Some recognized him for who he was. Hosanna to the son of David, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. You see, again, not being Hebrew, not being Jewish, we miss out on some of the depth and the significance. And I want to peel this open this morning a little bit like an orange. Because this was actually a recognition of his Messiahship. When they said uh, uh, Hosanna to the son of David. This comes from Psalm 118. How many of you knew that this phrase came from Psalm 118? Okay. So we're going into new territory. Is that okay? Turn to someone and say, we're going to learn something new today. And it's going to be good. This came from Psalm 118, specifically verse 25 to 26. And Psalm 118, verse 25 to 26, reads like this. Lord, save us. Hosanna. The word in Aramaic, the word is Hosanna. Lord, save us. Lord, grant us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. From the house of the Lord, we bless you. We welcome you. We receive you. And that's what Palm Sunday is all about. It's the beginning of Holy Week. It's the beginning of preparation leading up to the Passover. It's the beginning of, listen, Jesus died on the cross, but that has no effect on our lives until we acknowledge we've made mistakes and we need a Savior. And when we ask him into our life, we continue on from that point a new beginning. How many of you have had new beginnings in Christ? Amen. Absolutely. So Psalm 118, uh, they were actually quoting Scripture. But what's really, really fascinating about this, we're going to go deeper again, is that they weren't just quoting a Scripture. They were quoting very important Scriptures. Because in the Holy Week leading up to Passover, there were... Six psalms that were recited continuously. 
In fact, on Passover, from the sacrificing of the first lamb, on any given Passover in Jerusalem, there could be over 250,000 lambs sacrificed. Did you know that? Yeah. Because there was one for every household. And uh, so over 250,000 lambs sacrificed at any given time, and the priesthood was required from the beginning of the first sacrifice to the last lamb that was sacrificed, they would recite or they would sing halal, halal. And a halal is six psalms. Psalm 113, Psalm 114, Psalm 115, Psalm 116, Psalm 117, and they would finish with Psalm 118. But what was unique about Psalm 118 was where the priest would sing or recite these psalms, the person who was offering the lamb for the sacrifice to cover their own sins, they would join in with the priests on Psalm 118. And when they got to Psalm 118, the priests would say the first line, the people would say the next line. The priest would say the next line, the people would say the next. And so Psalm 118 was very familiar to people back then and today in the Jewish community, halal is repeated on a regular basis around Passover. And they repeat and recite and they sing these six psalms, but in particular, Psalm 118, which says, Hosanna, save us, Hosanna to the son of David. Hosanna, we recognize you and we welcome you. So what these people were doing was a very open acknowledgement that Jesus of Nazareth was the Messiah and the descendant of King David, but a Messiah sent from God. Pretty interesting, isn't it? Okay, church is over. I said, pretty interesting, isn't it? Absolutely. But it gets even more interesting than that. Let me continue on. <clears throat> the halals are psalms of praise and thanksgiving. When Jesus, in verse 10, entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up. Now, I want you to understand and I want you to remember that 70% of Jesus' ministry in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John took place around Galilee. In fact, his brothers chided him on a few occasions and they said, come on, when are you going to make your great debut? You're the Messiah, so you say. Why don't you go to Jerusalem and show yourself? And Jesus very rarely went to Jerusalem. This was the Holy Week the beginning of the preparation for his sacrifice for all mankind. And he comes out in the open, starting this Sunday. He comes out in the open, and the people start to acknowledge him, and he doesn't silence them. Jesus often silenced demons when they recognized him as the Son of God. And he often told people to be quiet when they recognized him as the Messiah but Jesus didn't rebuke the people or silence them. Instead, the priests of the day said to Jesus, why don't you tell your disciples to be quiet? God forbid we are quiet when we come together to worship God and worship the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Amen. You know, the Bible tells us in the book of Revelation that there was silence in heaven just for about half an hour. I think that's a good indication for having a rowdy, lively, loud, spirit-filled church. Amen. Absolutely. The crowds answered, this is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. A lot of the people in Jerusalem, now they came from all over Judea, this is Passover. They didn't know Christ. They didn't know him. 
And they saw the commotion by some who had encounters with his life. The woman who was caught in the act of adultery. And here were these men, equally as guilty, condemning her. And Jesus picked this woman up and loved on her and said, Woman, go and sin no more. He loved her and he set her free from judgment. He set her free from condemnation. He set her free from the prejudice in other people's hearts. You know, prejudice is always preceded by pride and arrogance. It's impossible to be prejudiced and not have pride and arrogance. And this woman probably was in that crowd. And the blind man who was blind from birth, and he cried out, he heard Jesus was coming by. Before he heard Jesus coming by, he heard the stories up and down the streets, just like you guys heard the stories of this so-called Messiah healing the sick, setting people free from demonic bondage. You were one of those centurions, one of those soldiers who used to bind up the man who walked around the tombs crazy. You'd tie him up with chains, and a few days later, he'd break through the chains. And so there was a small group of people who had encountered Christ, and they're shouting, Hosanna, listen, when you've had an encounter with Jesus Christ, it is very difficult if you've had a genuine experience to remain quiet about it. The rest of Judea came because it was Passover. And they said, who is this? And they said, he's a prophet. He's from Galilee, from Nazareth. Jesus rides into the temple, and the story continues. Verse 12. Jesus entered the temple courts and drove out all who were buying and selling there. This is Holy Week. People are getting ready for Passover. You know what Jesus did? He went into his father's house and symbolically started to remove the yeast. He's cleansing the temple. He said, you guys want to be so particular to the nth degree, but there's gross, obvious, blatant sin taking place in my father's house. Yeah, you get a cut of all the proceeds, and these merchants are incorrectly changing the value of people's money. They are using a weight system that is faulted to their advantage, and you profit off of it. I love the fact that Jesus was very honest, don't you? Yeah. Amen. Absolutely. Jesus entered the temple courts and drove out all who were buying and selling there. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves. And he said, it is written, my house will be called a house of prayer. But you are making it a den of robbers. The blind and the lame came to him at the temple and he healed them. But when the chief priests and the teachers of the law saw the wonderful things he did and the children shouting in the temple, Hosanna to the Son of God, they were indignant. You see, they understood that this was a messianic recognition. They understood that the people were believing that this Jesus was the Yeshua, the Messiah, the promised one who was to come, and they weren't happy about it. And they said to Jesus, do you hear what these people are saying? And Jesus said, yeah, it is written. Have you ever read from the lips of children and infants, you, Lord, have called forth your praise? And he left them and went out to the city, to Bethany, where he spent the night. Jesus comes back the next day and he picks up teaching in the temple. And the Pharisees, the chief priests, come to him again. They are really PO'd. I mean, here he is, the audacity of him, healing the blind, healing the sick people, throwing the crooked merchants out of the temple. And they come back to test him and they said, by what authority do you do these things? 
And he said, well, I'll answer your question if you answer one question for me. Was John the Baptist just an ordinary man or was he sent from God? Well, Jesus asked that question because he knew the Pharisees would have a dilemma answering it. If they said John the Baptist was an ordinary man, the people would rebel because they believed him to be a prophet. And if they said, we believe John the Baptist was a prophet, they knew Jesus would say, then why didn't you believe him and repent? And so they decided the only way to get out of this is to say, we don't know. Then it's his turn. He's got to answer our questions. How human, right? We get into this, these rationalistic arguments. And so they come to Jesus and say, well, we don't know. We don't know who he is. We don't know who sent him. Jesus said, well, if you don't know, then I don't have to answer your question either. And then he starts a long discourse with them. And this is why I say, when you read the Bible, don't just stomp at the chapter. Because in some of the Gospels, the conversation continues, but it continues in the next chapter. And we often see it as a break, a a stop in the conversation. And it isn't a stop in the conversation. And so Jesus goes on and he's talking to them and he shares a couple of parables. And I don't have time to go through all the parables. But church, this is Holy Week. Let's allow ourselves to make time and read through all of Matthew 21. In fact, read about Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem from each of the four Gospels. There are very few stories that all four Gospels recount, and this story is one of the famous stories that every one of the Gospel writers includes. I want to encourage you to read it and go beyond the chapter because the conversations often spill over into the next chapter and the next chapter. And I'm telling you, if you ask the Holy Spirit to open your eyes, you will be amazed when you see the context of the conversation, the things that Jesus said, a lot of things will start to click in your heart. But here's an important thing. As they're having this conversation and they're not accepting Christ, Jesus says to them, tell me, have you ever heard, do you remember the scripture? Oh, I love how cunning he was. Simple and yet so sharp. He said, have you ever heard, have you ever read where it says, the stone that the chief builders rejected, God chose to be the cornerstone. Here it is. Jesus said to them, have you never read in the scriptures the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone? The Lord has done this, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Have you ever read that? And he's asking the priests, have you ever read that? And you might say, well, I've read it. I'm not really sure how that all ties in. You see what's really interesting, what's amazing, what is almost humorous is the fact that Jesus was repeating Psalm 118, a psalm that they knew verbatim, a psalm that they would say the first line and the Jewish people would say the second line. And this is a psalm that was said every lamb that was sacrificed, 250,000 lambs. And he says, have you ever read? He knew they read it. He knew they knew it. And what it is is a prophecy. Uh, The verses after are, Hosanna, blessed is the, the son of David. Blessed is the one who comes to save us. And then it says, the stone that the builders rejected, God chose to be the cornerstone. He says to them, have you ever read it? You know what he was saying? Hey, guys. You're testing me. You're rejecting me. I get it. But you are fulfilling prophecy. He quoted a scripture they repeat constantly. And he says, the people 
Or some of the people have said, Hosanna, save us, son of David. But you, like the prophet prophesied in the Psalms, are refusing the very stone that's meant to be the cornerstone of the kingdom of God. You know what a cornerstone is? It's the foundation stone that sets the parameters of right and left and properly positions the building. And if you get the cornerstone right, everything else will fall into place. Isn't it amazing? When you get it right with Jesus, everything else falls into place. Are you hearing me, church? Getting it right with Jesus isn't a one-time deal. That's when I first started the relationship. But every day of my life, I'm in relationship with people. And if I'm a smart, wise person, I'll learn how to say, I'm sorry. Every so often, when it's necessary, I eat my pride. I ask you, hey, Omar, you remember that time I was preaching on the knowledge of good and evil, the tree? And I was eating the apple in church, and I was dribbling the juice on your shirt. By the way, did that offend you? Because if it did, I want to apologize publicly. Not at all. Now, I checked with him way back then when I did it. But you see, if we're going to be wise in relationship, I'm sorry. has to be part of our language. The Pharisees, Jesus pointed out to them, the word of God actually talks about you. The very stone that you, the builders of the house of Israel, rejected, God chose to be the cornerstone of the kingdom of heaven. I close with this today. It's Palm Sunday. A lot of people will be waving palms and all of us are excited here in church praising God. Not because he was going to overthrow the Roman government, but because he was going to overthrow the sin nature in me and the sin nature in you. You see, whatever government's in power, they can't wreck my life. What will wreck my life are the powers of darkness that I let be in power in me. Can I get an agreement? Why don't you turn to somebody next to you and say, man, that hit deep. <laughs> now, here it is. Here it is. So good having you here. I know you're going back north soon. But the Spirit of God will go with you and stay with you and bless you. And he will keep you. But the bottom line is this. Many didn't recognize the coming of their God. God put it on my heart to start a series that dovetails right into Palm Sunday. I never planned it. And the whole series is about, will you be ready when he comes? Will you be prepared? Will you be living the life? Will you recognize him? He's coming like a thief in the night. History repeats itself. Look at her. She's watching me. She's been following me. She's been listening to me in your tummy for nine months. She knows this voice. Yeah. And she knows the spirit of God. Church. See how God dovetails things together? I'm not following a schedule. Some guy did this four years ago and he made it available on the internet. No. The same way Israel wasn't ready, do you honestly think that humanity today is any different? Do you think we're better than them? If you do, that's pride and arrogance and prejudice. You see, human nature is the same, and I'll tell you why it's the same. History repeats itself because human nature doesn't change and because demons don't change. And the same spirits of deception that got into the church in Jesus' day tries to get into the church of Jesus today. And the same way the people that he came for, some received him and some were awake and some were quick and some were full of oil and some totally missed it. 
Jesus is coming again. But this coming isn't to save the world. He's going to take his bride. He's going to rapture his bride. But his second coming signals the beginning of God's wrath and judgment on earth. Jesus came. We celebrate that today. Palm Sunday. Hosanna. This is God in the flesh. The Christ. The Messiah. Yeshua. Our Savior. He died for me. If you don't believe he died for you, I am not ashamed to say he died for every silly, stupid, dumb mistake I've ever made. And there are tons of them, but they've disappeared by the blood of Jesus Christ. Amen. But he's coming again. And he's coming for those who rightfully can say, Hosanna, you are the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Would you stand with me? What a great thing Jesus is alive. What a great thing he came to save the world. You and I, we are recipients. We are recipients. We are benefactors of this great salvation. Before when I was preaching, I was using you as a model of someone who doesn't believe. I didn't mean that about you. So I do believe, Pastor. I know you do. I'm, I'm so if I offended you, I'm sorry. <laughs> You're not one of my regulars. I know who you are. Second Sunday. Yeah, second Sunday. But uh, church, if you've never said to the Christ, I'm sorry, I've made mistakes, then today's a good time to ask him to be Lord of your life and to come into your heart. Amen. Jesus is coming again and I want you to be ready and I want to be ready I want to make sure that I am burning with the oil that comes from the Holy Spirit does that sound like a good idea absolutely well every eye is closed I'm not talking about whether you were an altar boy or whether you took communion whether you've gone to church, whether you've been in Sunday school, I'm not talking about whether you're a good person or a bad person. I'm talking about do you have a living, vital, exciting, ongoing relationship with Jesus Christ? Palm Sunday was the beginning of some people recognizing and welcoming Him. We, the house of the Lord, welcome you, they said to Jesus. You're meant to be the house of the Lord. Jesus Christ died for your sins and my sins. And if you have never asked Christ to come into your life, I want to tell you, it's not just about the forgiveness of sins. Heck, this is the best thing I have ever done. I have made mistakes and I have had people leave me. But the best thing, the best decision I've ever made, the best turning point in my life is when Jesus Christ came out of heaven and started to live inside of Rob Scarala. Amen. Absolutely. And if you're not sure today, that's okay. Because you can be sure before you leave this building. If you have never asked Jesus Christ, or you're not sure that you have this living relationship with Christ, let it be a Palm Sunday in the history of Sundays of your life. Welcome Jesus Christ and say yes to him. And so with every eye closed right now, I ask you, if you aren't sure whether or not you've done that, give me a wave. Come on. Well, every eye is closed. Just raise your hand and say, I want to accept Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. I see that hand. Thank you. God bless you. Any other hands? Raise your hand and just say, yeah, I want Jesus to be my Savior. Now, if you did that sometime back and you've walked away from that lifestyle 
today the Spirit of God is talking to you, not beating you up, but loving you and showing you that you need to get it right. You want to make a fresh commitment to Christ. Come on, you raise your hand too. Right now, across this auditorium, if you need to come back to Jesus today to let him be who he's supposed to be. Thank you. I see that hand up the back. You can put it down. God bless you. Anyone else? God bless you. Those of you that are watching via live stream, if that's you, please stay tuned when the service ends and I speak to you on the live stream. Church, I want you to put your hands together for everyone who's making a decision today, whether they've raised their hands or not. It is awesome when someone chooses to let Christ come into their heart. I want everyone, those of you that raise your hands and those of you who have done this a long time ago, for the benefit of those that are doing it for the first time, everyone, repeat this prayer after me. And those of you who raise your hand, God knows, God knows, and he hears. Dear God, I thank you for loving me and receiving me. Thank you for Jesus Christ. Jesus, I recognize that you died for me, and I need you. Jesus Christ. I open my life up to accept you, to live with you, to have relationship with you. I welcome you to come into me. Forgive me of everything I've done wrong. Let your blood wash away my sin. Jesus Christ. I accept you as God and as my Savior. Thank you for hearing my prayer today. Amen. Amen.